This is Meatless, a podcast about eating from how we get to next. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. This show asks the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode, we go to Chicago to stay at the new Ace Hotel and consider the idea of a good vegan city. The messaging around Chicago was mixed. I'd only been once before, for one day, to eat a tasting menu at the Michelin-starred restaurant Alinea. My friend and I slept in bunk beds in a hostel and flew standby in order to afford this birthday gift we were giving ourselves. But that kind of dinner doesn't give one a real sense of a place. Still, the fame of Chicago Diner, open since 1983, and the city being home to big brands like Upton's Naturals, who make seitan, marinated jackfruit, and box mac and cheese, as well as Dandy's, a gelatin-free marshmallow maker, I had gotten it into my head that this was one of the great vegan meccas, a mythology built on Instagram and packaging. As I did more research and talked to more folks, though, a different picture emerged, one that suggested Chicago was actually terrible for anyone who doesn't eat meat. The truth, though, doesn't sway too far in either direction. On this trip, to get a more complete picture, I spoke to a few people who live in the city and make food their lives. What I found were chefs who can talk beautifully about the lifespan of a carrot, bakers making secret vegan pastries, cookbook authors mapping the city's meatless options, lifelong Chicagoans blogging about food politics, and bartenders with animal rights activist pasts. I grew up in East LA. Um, so it is obviously the east side of Los Angeles in a very kind of Hispanic-focused neighborhood. Um, and I think I grew up eating all of those very, very traditional Mexican foods. This is Alicia Arredondo, a vegan bartender at the city's famous tropical bar, Lost Lake. My parents were both immigrants from Mexico. Um, yeah, it was all very meat-heavy. Think of, like, the pozoles and the birrias, and we had coffee for breakfast. Even as a kid, you know, I had that super heavy cream-driven coffee and some Mexican sweet breads, and, yeah, insert every single thing you ever think about when you think about Mexican cuisine. Arredondo moved to Chicago six years ago. I love L.A. still to this day. There's so many wonderful things about it, but... You have to, you struggle really hard to find community there, like identity and community. And when I moved to Chicago, I felt like it was the first time as an adult that I just completely felt embraced by my surroundings. Um, Chicago has, yeah, it's like, it's just, it's a really loving kind of area where anything that you want to be a part of, everyone welcomes you with open arms. She became vegetarian when she was 15, more than half her life and has been vegan for eight to 10 years. I'm not incredibly militant about it. I think that you do have to be very forgiving with yourself and allow yourself some luxuries, but I would say that I've been, I've been self-identified vegan for the last 10 years. <laughs> I, was, I was a really strange kid. <laughs> 
Um, first and foremost, I was very politically driven at a really young age. Um, and I would like to say that it was about like saving the animals and, you know, you can't, you know, don't do that. But I had a moment where I realized that we were being told what to eat by our kind of system and our government. And I, I don't know, I feel like I read a book or something and it kind of just like put in a lot of things. They just kind of clicked in. And I just had a really rebellious moment where I was like, I'll be damned if you tell me what I'm putting in my body. And yeah, and then I just became vegetarian and try explaining that as a 15 year old <laughs> to the world around you. <laughs> um, my family was really confused for a really long time. They never told me no, which was really great. They are uh, they are they're very understanding parents, although sometimes obviously out of tune with kind of uh, the way the world is kind of working around them. But they were, yeah, they were, they were, they never said no, although they were very confused. And I had the father that even like seven, eight years later would be like, oh, just like eat some of this caldo. And I'd be like, dad, it has chicken in it. And he'd be like, no, 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 but it's just the caldo. No tiene pollo. And I'd be like, no, that, that's not the way vegetarianism works. <laughs> you know, at least not for me, because that's the way it could work for other people. But it's like, that's not, that's not how I do my vegetarianism. But they've adapted. Um, yeah, and then my mom, my mom has always, uh, she's always been a chef in one way or another. It's, she used to work for a catering company, um, had her own catering thing for a little while, and then for a long time worked like at a deli counter for a major grocery store. So she's always been around food. Um, and she was the one that started to get really creative about the things that she would make for me. It was all of the very nostalgic things. Like I, one of my favorite things growing up was arroz con leche, which is a rice pudding. Um, and obviously it is a very dairy heavy product. Um, and she figured out a way, this was, I mean, like, 15 years ago, she figured out a way of making me a vegan arroz con leche by using soy milk in it as a replacement. Because 15 years ago, that was the only thing that you had to choose from. Um, but she figured out a way of doing it, also figured out a way of making it taste good. Um, and I think that she had a lot of fun doing that in that kind of trial and error where, you know, you have these moments and I'm sure anyone who's ever had a dietary restriction where someone goes, wow, this actually tastes good. <laughs> and she would have a lot of moments when she would like cook for me. There are non-vegan things that Aridondo still lets herself eat. Yeah. Um, I think the number one thing I always kind of grant myself permission to eat is Mexican bread, which I've mentioned. Yeah. Um, it's very, very nostalgic. It reminds me a lot of my parents. It reminds me of mornings back home. Um, so whenever I'm feeling homesick, uh, that's kind of the one thing I'll like, you know, walk across the street. I live really close to a bakery store. So it's like, I'll like walk across the street and I'll grab myself my little pan dulce and, uh, the lady at the counter is always so lovely and she's like, hi, Miha, welcome back, you know, because she like knows that I'm coming in there because I'm like feeling some type of way. Right, right. <laughs> she doesn't have to compromise at Lost Lake, though. Our menu is about 50 percent vegan and or vegetarian, which is really wonderful, especially for what people consider like a quote unquote bar menu, which it is not. I mean, Fred does such an amazing job of curating this like beautiful, beautiful menu um, that goes beyond bar food. Um, and I don't, 
I don't want to take credit for, you know, I'm not like, I don't want to take credit for, you know, the way he conceptualizes his menus, but I do believe that he's really self, like self-conscious and aware of his surroundings. Um, we do family meal every single day and there are dietary restrictions that they meet. I mean, we have someone who's gluten-free, someone who is vegetarian, I'm vegan, and there's just like all of these different things that they, um, that they provide meals for. And I've worked at other restaurants where it's like family meals, one thing, and if you can eat it, you eat it, and if you can't, you can't. Um, and here they go out of the way. It's like you go down there and it's like labeled vegan, gluten-free, like all of the different things that you can eat. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel, like I said, it's like, I, I don't know, I'm sure he's not thinking of me specifically when he's making the menu, um, but I definitely know that he does think of other dietary needs, which is really, um, not always common. <laughs> Arredondo can see that Chicago lacks a lot in its vegan options, but there is always something to be found. I both agree and I disagree with that statement. Um, so it goes 50-50. Uh, I definitely feel very spoiled because I came from a place like LA, uh, which has a different way of, it's a different kind of veganism there. Um, it's focused on other, it's just, it has a different focus, right? It's like lighter, brighter, fresher products. Um, and that's, that is definitely the one thing that I've missed since moving from home. Just kind of my vegan options are a little bit more brown, <laughs> I would say. Um, but I can definitely tell you that I've never gone hungry in the city. Everywhere that you go has a very, very explicit vegan option. You know, for the most part, there's definitely exceptions. But like most places that you go to, like even in this neighborhood alone, we know Lost Lake has, again, 50% vegan options. Uh, you go to Revolution, they have a vegan option. We have, we do have the Chicago Diner. We have Ground Control. Lula always has their soup is always vegan and you always have something else so it's like everywhere that you go you're going to have a meal um is it always going to be the healthiest meal <laughs> um probably not you do have to look for that a little bit you have to be a little bit more intentional about that in chicago um but again though i really do think that the vegan community here is also it's growing and it's really strong for Chef Pat Sheeran of the Ace Hotel City Mouse, a lifelong Chicagoan, providing guests with options that reflect the city, produce-wise and stylistically, is super important. Dishes such as grilled carrot with persimmon, butternut squash with farro and winter citrus, and roasted cauliflower with caramelized cabbage and smoked dates offer a medley of textures and flavors that prove care has been taken. I grew up on the north side of the city of Chicago, neighborhood called Edgewater. Um, we were kind of the weird kids on the block. Well, actually, we it was a weird block, very weird microcosm. Uh, my family history is Polish and Irish. My grandparents were in the Burbs and grew a ton of food and also were very big into uh, freezing and preserving. Um, so like always like winter vegetables all came out of the freezer, uh, preserved from the summer and but beets, sauerkraut, all those things were always put up every year. So we ate all those things and then like during the summer ate you know, it was definitely, there was always meat on the table because that was very, you know, late 70s, 80s, iconic. You had to have meats, but um, always a ton of vegetables because my grandparents were, had grown up in the Depression and knew, like, you stretch a meal with, with vegetables because they're affordable and 
<clears throat> and they're delicious. Uh, then the neighborhood I grew up in, the block I grew up in, was really a whirlwind of multiculturalism. We had a Greek family across the street that, you know, they would roast lamb in their backyard, a Chinese family that grew tons of vegetables I had never seen before in my life. Um, there was a, uh, the postman was a Japanese guy down the street who he would actually catch perch and he'd bring it by for everybody because he, he just really enjoyed fishing. And still to this day, like some of the cleanest cleaned fish I've ever seen in my life. So, um, so we grew up eating a lot of vegetables and it's always kind of been a part of my life. Sheeran began his career in restaurants at a very young age, by accident, while working at Taste of Chicago. I was taking tickets. I was like 12 or 13 years old, and uh, somebody didn't show up. And so they taught me how to use the grill, and I grilled swordfish and ribeye sandwiches for thousands of people. And that was back when Taste of Chicago was two weeks. And so like by the, by the end of the second week, I was like, I want to do this forever. I did study cooking. I took, my parents were smart enough to help me pump my own brakes. Uh, I would have gone probably right out of high school into a kitchen, but uh, I ended up, I got my undergrad from Michigan State University uh, in hospitality business, and then I went out to New York um, to the French, what was the French Culinary Institute is now the uh, International Culinary Center and, and went to cooking school there. I asked him how he develops vegetable forward dishes and whether that process is different when he works with meat. The meatier ones kind of take care of themselves a lot of times in that like, you know, they're just, um, they're, they're there, they're, they're there and they're, they're really, they're really tasty. But at the same time, like, especially when it's high season for produce here, it's like, we're always trying to find new ways and how to really push more of them onto our menus. Um, you know, and like, and highlighting the vegetable like we all any vegetable that's highlighted on our menu comes from a local grower um even at this time of the year because like hoop house technology and all those things are much more prevalent and, and used a lot more um nowadays so you can have you can have vegetables through the course of the winter even green ones you know like people do a lot of greenhouse growing and stuff like that um so we we focus on those for our you know like our vegetable centric dishes and then we also try to figure a way to like pack as much as many vegetables into our into our meat dishes too that's you know always like important it kind of it adds you know it adds a lot of vibrancy freshness to a to a dish that you don't get from just like a, a piece of protein he sees chicago's dining scene as vibrant regardless of the kind of cuisine being served and especially as generations of of cooks like go back to their you know like what their family restaurants are i mean it's, you know, again, one of those kind of like classic examples. Birria Zaragoza is one of my favorite places in the city. And I know Jonathan, uh, the son, he's a super talented chef in his own right. But like he loves that he goes back to his roots and, and cooks birria with his family. Um, but like beyond the birria, which is delicious, they have a person that makes fresh tortillas to order. And they're like, there is nothing in the, in the world like a tortilla, like right off of the griddle. I mean, it's blows anything, you know, your idea of a, a, a tortilla out of the water. So there's a lot of people that are doing things like that. I mean, growing up, we had a small Vietnamese restaurant on the north side that, you know, it was the grandma and the family in the back cooking, and it was very much from the soul. And, like, still, it was like, I just, you know, we would get it all the time because it was just so good and just so, you could just tell a lot of love it was put into the food. And farm-to-table dining has become the expectation. 
for a lot of chefs, that's just the assumption that you're using all these local things. And that market is so much bigger now. The Green City Market, I mean, near us, local foods, there's a number of like logistical managers that, you know, that are operated as like food companies that help get local far, you know, local Midwestern stuff to two different restaurants. I don't think that you need to have that as much like on the, in the title, like, because all of a sudden it becomes all the, a lot of times it becomes the same thing over and over again. But, you know, like for here, there's weeks that like one farm can't supply us all the carrots that we need. So we do use a different number of carrot, you know, from different farms. So I think that happens a lot with a number of the restaurants, but I think that that scene is still extremely vibrant and, you know, and still very like, it's economical, it's, it works. I mean, all I see are more farms popping up and we get more and more emails and phone calls from people wanting to do business with us. And I think it's, it's a tell for the city that like people are using more and more local in the restaurants, maybe not as advertised or pushing it as much, but yeah, it, it does happen. I wanted to hear more about the thought behind their carrot and persimmon dish. Like carrots, especially when they sit in the ground through the colder months, they get sweeter because they need to produce more sugars in order to not freeze. Um, so they get really sweet. And, and we felt like there's something really interesting about that because they kind of dry out a little bit as, you know, as the ground gets really, you know, there's not a lot of moisture and whatnot. So they're like kind of intensely sweet. Um, so we roast them to kind of add a little bit of bitterness from the roasting process, but also kind of like intensify that sweetness a little bit more. And we roast them to kind of like soften them up a little bit and then we finish them on the grill um, to give them like some of that char flavor. And then we, but they're sweet, they're charred, and then we add uh, like a little spicy, it's kind of a riff on salsa matcha. Um, we put that on there along with a little bit of pickle. Uh, right now we're using persimmons um, to add some acidity uh, and you know, I'm trying to think what else is on the plate too, but yeah. so all those things are on there to kind of help create a balance and some fresh herbs just to add some brightness. And he does believe that the choices one makes in the kitchen have political implications. One of the choices that we make here is to really uh, focus on uh, making selections that are, you know, not only in the best interest of our guests, but also of the planet. And we just feel like the food tastes better then too. Um, and it's, you know, what I feel very comfortable serving my own family as well. So I wouldn't want to serve a guest something that I wouldn't feel good about serving my own family. So we do make choices in terms of like, uh, you know, the meats and, and produce and, and everything that we buy is uh, as local as possible, but always, you know, look for sustainable lack of use of antibiotics or growth hormones. Um, and because I think that does impacted you know we're although we're one spot if more people make that choice um it is in the long run will help you know and i think having a, a lot of vegetable selections too just kind of helps point people in that direction we all know you know we consume too much protein as a as a planet um not that there isn't room to con to consume it but like at the rates that we're doing it it's not really sustainable for our for our planet um, so we, we do make that choice to make sure that vegetables are, are featured because we want people to come here and feel welcome regardless of why they're here or how they choose to eat. In part two of the Chicago episode, sponsored by the Ace Hotel, we'll talk to Natalie Slater of Bacon Destroy, Baker Valeria Taylor of Loba Pastry, and Lottie and Doof blogger Tim Masaryk. Woo! <laughs>
for their perspective on the meatless scene in Chicago. Chicago.